Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Welcome to Celebration Church. If you're new or visiting, my name is Joel. I'm one of our pastors here. On behalf of our senior pastors, Pastor Brian and Charlie, I want to welcome you to church. Hopefully, someone's connected with you. If they haven't, after the service, if you head to that hello sign, someone will hook you up with everything that you need. You've come to a good Sunday. We're at part two of the Art of series. Last week, Pastor and I shared on the Art of Hospitality. If you missed that or if you heard that, I encourage you to go back and listen. He gave 10 tips on hospitality. This series is really about us equipping our church to have some social skills, um, which is fantastic. Uh, next month, we're doing some challenges around our celebration groups. Um, but this morning, I'm going to share with us... So so if you missed last week, check it out. Next week, Pastor Benoit is also sharing on our final part of our little three-part series. And actually, the art of is turning into a little mini segment in our services starting in June, where different people are going to come up and share different the art of, perhaps the art of having a not debilitating mental health, um, or the art of cooking with Troy Spencer, um, or the art of... Uh, dance with Trent Seidel, um, just all different, the art ofs, um, <laughs> come to that week, oh my gosh, all of your sicknesses will be healed as Trent dances over you, um, it's going to be good to be celebrating those things and we'll do a little bit of a mini-series before our offering each week and that's going to be good. Um, if you've got your Bibles, I just want to welcome everyone online, um, but if you've got your Bible, turn with me to two Peter. I'm going to continue our series this morning. The worship was fantastic. We'll get back to that in a moment. 2 Peter uh, 1 verse 5. I've got it. It's going to appear on the screen. Beep, beep. Is that a robot? Is there a robot in church? Um, Pastor Mariah and Charlie um, bought myself and Alex, someone called Consuela. She is our robo vacuum cleaner. Uh, her name is Consuela because if you want the job done, send a woman. Um, so Consuela, um, if you want it completed and achieved, if you want someone to get distracted and end up watching four hours of Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix, send Joel. Um, but if you want it done, send Consuela. Um, I won't do it. Relax, Big Mills, it's okay. Um, no, I won't. Um, So when I think of robots, I think of Consuela now. We're about to put googly eyes on her. Um, I'm afraid that Jeremiah is going to fall in love with her. He's my six-year-old son, but just pray for him. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 to 9 uh, in NIV reads this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Read that again. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Not just to hold your faith, not just to be satisfied with a portion of faith that God gives you, but to make every effort to add to your faith. And then we have a list here to add goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. For if you possess these qualities 
in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. This morning, um, I want to encourage us um, around uh, the art of. My goal this morning is very simple. Um, My goal this morning is to motivate our church to start celebration groups. That is actually my only uh, motivation. You can you can get other things out of this, um, but I am sharing this morning for the purpose of people that are far from Jesus, that God has called you to reach and disciple and to love and to help, that you would be motivated this morning to add to your faith. That you would be motivated this morning uh, not to be ineffective or unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be completely aware that you've been cleansed from your past sin and that it should motivate you to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. I pray in a moment. Um, Alan, go to the very last slide, bro. That'd be awesome. Just this legitimately is where we're going. Like, spoiler alert. Like, that's where we're going to end up today. And you might be like, no, I'm not going to end up there. Well, me and Jesus are going to get you there. Um, If you've come, like, ready to position yourself against this message this morning, man, I'm on your side too. And we're going to push you into this ring and it's going to be fantastic. But none of us did that, did we? We came to church ready to be changed and transformed, to be renewed, to allow Jesus to make us more like him. Amen? (laughs) Let me pray for us this morning. And then I'll let China from The Voice be seated. <laughs> China, close personal friends with Guy James Sebastian. I don't know. <laughs> Sing something, China. No, don't. It's fine. Okay. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we ask that you would move in our hearts, that you would transform and change us. If there's anything in us, God, that offends you, if there's anything else that is separating us from knowing you in a greater way, I pray this morning you would break down barriers, that you would build bridges between us and who you've called us to be. May we be moved by your presence this morning, moved out of being ineffective, moved out of being unproductive, And you would help us to add something to the faith you've given us. Maybe the faith for our family to be one or the faith for our workplaces or the faith of the things you've believed us to do in our city and beyond. I pray this morning you would motivate us to start something beyond what we've done before. With the benefit of our bravery being someone else's breakthrough. Our willingness to step out when we feel that we're not ready or we're not set that we would still go and do what you've asked us to do, which is make disciples of you. So help us this morning. Be with us. We need you more than anything. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, China, from The Voice. 
Last week, Pastor Benoit shared around an artwork, the Mona Lisa, a beautiful artwork, nearly worth a billion dollars, which is quite expensive. Um, imagine just painting something that's nearly worth, well, it's worth over a billion Australian dollars, and that's not even including inflation and the cost of living. The cri- is, it the, is it called the crisis of living now? What's the crisis of living? Someone that watches the news should know. I want to talk for a moment around the artist of Vincent van... There was goths there, there was goes there. You say whatever you want. You don't need to be educated. Uh, Vincent, or as we like to call him, Vinny, um, was a troubled man. Um, His final words, and I will tell you what his five final words are, were, the sadness will last forever. Yikes. Um, That's not the... I I asked a few people if I should share that quote this morning. Everyone said no, but I've done it, and it really landed, and I think we all feel inspired now. Um, (laughs) The sadness will last forever is not the best Vinnie quote, but it is still a a good one. Vincent Van Gogh died at the age of 37. It's debatable how he died. Rumours are that a teenager that was bullying him shot him twice in the chest. But there are mixed rumours about what happened with Vincent Van Gogh. But he died at the age of 37, two days after being shot in the chest. And he said these beautiful final words to his brother, Theo. But we're not going to focus on that part of Vincent Van Gogh this morning because, yikes. Um, We're going to focus on the fact in his 10 years of painting, he sold but one painting. He made over 2,100 artworks, over 860 oil paintings, but he only sold one and he sold it to his friend, which doesn't count. (laughs) So like if you're starting like a candle company, Jono, and you only sell it to Troy, your company hasn't begun yet. Um, No offence. Sorry if you're like passionate about candles and you've only sold one to a friend. But Vincent van Gogh, in his 10 years of painting, producing obviously a large amount of work, especially the fact that he was in and out of mental hospitals, he had quite a journey, um, but only started when he was 27. He sold one artwork in his short Life, But since then, many of those artworks have gone on to sell into the millions of dollars, one of the greatest being $86 million, which was a painting that he did of his uh, in-home psychiatrist, um, which is always great, isn't it? You know someone's killing it when their number one painting is a painting of their psychiatrist that hung out with them full-time. You know, you're winning when your psychiatrist moves in with you. That's a a sign that maybe you need to, I don't know, do more breathing exercises or something. Um, But Vincent van Gogh is a... um, a reminder of someone that committed himself to starts even when he didn't see finishes. The heroes of the faith are exactly the same. The heroes of the faith are just a whole bunch of people that started but didn't finish. That's it. Like it says in the end of the heroes of the faith scripture that we have that none of them achieved what was promised or even saw it or they saw it perhaps from a distance and are not fulfilled, did not finish without combining 
with us. Another person um, that is a good example of someone that keeps on starting was Walt Disney. Walt Disney is not currently floating in some chemical waiting to be remade. He was cremated, so if you think that he's floating somewhere, if you've heard that rumour, he's been burnt, so probably not. Um, but Walt Disney, over 300 times, attempted to sell the concept of both Disneyland and Mickey Mouse, but was rejected. His company has now obviously gone on. He himself won 22 Oscars and received, I think, 62-ish nominations. He is the person that received the most Oscars in all of history, Walt Disney. His company is now in the top 50 valued companies in the world. But he was well accustomed to starting. A new person, this is my idea. My idea is a cartoon mouse that drives a boat, and then everyone will come to this special Neverland and bring their kids and spend so much money to wait in line. Like, he pitched this idea, and surprise, surprise, it didn't land very often, but he was accustomed to, I'll go again, I'll go again, I'll go again. Perhaps the greatest success stories in histories are not the people that were the most... Um, they were only the ones that failed the most but refused to stay down. Like often with success, we think someone was better off or did something or they were set up or so easy for them. But most of the success stories that we look at substantial success in our world are those that failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. If anything, they succeeded just because they failed more than everyone else. So if you face failure in your life, just make a decision that it won't be my last failure, that I will fail many, many, many more times until I win, <laughs> until I keep on being obedient to what God has asked me to do. This morning, I want to share around the thought of the art of the start. Often in life, we look at the end. I'm not going to start anything unless I know how it's going to finish. We're going to look at that scripture in a moment, and I'm going to debunk um, the truth of it. But if we can go to our next slide, Alan, I want to give you simply the why of why this matters, that your brave is someone else's breakthrough. That to take a risk, to step outside of the boat, perhaps to begin something, even if you don't feel qualified just yet... That is how someone else gets a breakthrough. When someone decides to lead or someone decides to step out or someone decides to perhaps even put a target on their back by not sitting down, not staying silent, but stepping up and speaking forward, they make a way for people that need a breakthrough. And this morning in any area of your life, perhaps it's finance or career or family, your walk with God, or perhaps it's celebration groups, I want to encourage you this morning that your bravery to step out unqualified, to step out in your weakness, to step out needing God's supernatural power is the recipe for God to bring breakthrough, perhaps to your school young person, perhaps to your workplace non-young person, perhaps in your family, perhaps in your siblings or children that you're believing for God to be saved, that your bravery to step outside of that boat, your bravery to start, to commence, not just to plan and be paralyzed, but to actually take that first step. Next slide, Alan. Hit me up, bro. I want to give you a few different hows of how to actually start this morning. I want to give you four different hows. And the first one is this, to prioritize the things that matter to God. 
Priorities are something in church life um, normally motivated by the book Boundaries. Um, Boundaries doesn't appear in the same context as the book Boundaries does in the Bible. Um, But when we think about priorities sometimes, um, we can actually get pretty messed up when our priorities don't align with what matters to God. So perhaps I can say to you, as a pastor, I have a predisposition as a 32-year-old pastor to be aware that my pastor's kids, they live with me, apparently they're pastor's kids, I refer to them as the psychologist's kids because my wife is a psychologist and I feel like that's scarier. Um, Thank you, Cynthia, I acknowledge your laughter. Where was it when I was saying that awesome quote from before, that the sadness will last forever? Um, (laughs) I'm very aware that if I make a decision to prioritise ministry over my family, that um, my kids will perhaps go see their mum in a professional capacity to talk about how I chose ministry over family. Because I have watched and I have been around church life and I have seen it go different ways, I can really go counter and be like, uh, God first, family second, and uh, the poor I will always have amongst me. So I'll keep them 10th or 11th or 12th, but it'll be very clear that my priorities are this way. But we have this um, scripture in Matthew 6. Let me turn there. I'll race you there if you can, if you can beat me there. Um, you get no tithing for six months. Um, oh, congratulations, Tom. You can keep your $12, bro. Um, Uh, yikes once I preached on money and three people left our church just once it was it was pretty intense message I said stingy heaps of times and people don't like being called stingy for some reason actually the only people that don't like being called stingy are pastor Nat used to say this thing in youth You only get offended if you believe it's true, which isn't true because I can be really mean to you when you get really offended, Um, but it's it's good still. Where is is Pastor Nat? He's probably outside smoking. Thank you. Yeah. If that offends you, Nat, you just believe it's true. I'm just kidding. Um, But Matthew 6 verse 33 uh, says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all of these things, speaking of the things listed just above, which is food, uh, water, and clothing, um, all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's take an ADHD tangent right now in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Actually, no, we won't. I've already bypassed my own ADHD and I'm already back on the point. Sorry, guys. I'm so ADHD, I'm back on the point. Matthew 6 outlines a very important truth about our priorities. That our priorities aren't a list of things that combat each other for our attention every second of the day. There are some moments where my priority um, is you over my family. Right now my family is at home sick. Um, I am coming off a disease that Ellie brought into our home via Liebird Preschool. I went into Liebird Preschool for like a little clay thing this week and this kid sneezed on my face. And I thought, hmm. 
And I saw his mum in the shops two days later with this kid and I pushed her over and I said, no, I didn't really. Um, if your kid's sick, get them healed or stay at home. They're your options. You gotta get for he- if you're going, you bring your sick kid to church, you better be believing for healing, not just spreading it around, talking to you, Trent and Linda, Lincoln, I don't know. Okay. But right now, I can't say I'm prioritizing my family over this. In different moments of your life, you have to choose intentionally to seek first God's kingdom and place your attention, your energy, your finance, your time, your heart into the thing that God is asking you to do. But what happens often with priorities, let's say, for example, I use the three that I just used before, of God is first, my family is second, and ministry is third. That makes perfect sense if you understand the whys of those things. Those three priorities I've shared with the team And Pastor Benari even shared them two weeks ago, that as pastors, we intentionally in our hearts and in our minds say, I choose my family over what people think. Or the wording that I had when when Jeremiah was born is, I love Jeremiah more than I love people's view of my parenting. I don't care how you think about how I raise my child. It's not your responsibility to... um, critique my parenting but as pastors kids they're they're stuck in this kind of mindset and this thought because of pressures and etc etc so we place these priorities of these things but what happens with our priorities is if I say God first this second this third this fourth this fifth often how our priorities work is we give all of our energy to the first thing and then whatever's left over we give it to here and then whatever's left over, we give it to here. And, then, and we work down our priority list. It's not an even pie chart of saying 20% here, 10% here. It's, I'll do this thing, and then if there's anything left, I go my way down. But if we want to start and walk with Jesus well, we have to intentionally prioritize the things that matters to him. And what matters to him is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And the promises of everything else we need flow out of our right standing with God and seeking right standing with God and his kingdom. What matters to his kingdom, how to advance his kingdom, how to be in his kingdom, how to have the culture of his kingdom, how to bring heaven to earth should be our number one and our only priority. Another way of describing it is to love God with your whole heart. And the second is like this. It is not this, but it's like this, to love your neighbor. They are your commands. That is your focus. So when it comes to your priorities in your life right now, can you run it through the structure of do the things that matter to God matter to me? Or have I separated myself from his priorities and can I perhaps come back? And I want to tell you if you are a living, breathing Christian one of your top priorities should be helping people that are far from him to become a living, breathing Christian. Romans 12, if you've got a Bible, turn with me there as we go to the second thing this morning. Acts, Romans. No one's got it, really. It's because you weren't motivated that time. Whoever gets it this time, triple tithes. Okay, okay. Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and some Titus and Timothy list these different gifts of God. And the second thing uh, this morning is to, Alan, hit me up, position your gift. 
It's very interesting, and I'm going to, we're going to go through these few scriptures in a moment, that we use these scriptures, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, that are meant to be about unity. We use them in a way that is divisive. And I'm going to talk about how to not use these scriptures that are supposed to be about uniting us to divide us. In other words, you do this, I do that, and we have completely different functions, and somehow we're connected as long as we all kind of look to Jesus randomly. Romans 12 Verse 14 says this, If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. Encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This scripture and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians 4, I'll prove my point in a second, we don't read this as if it is serving, let him serve. How we often read this, if it is not serving, I will not serve. If my gift is not encouragement, I will not encourage. If my gift is not contributing to the needs of others, I will not contribute to the needs of others. If it is not leadership, I will not govern diligently. What we do is we grab the scripture and we say, we all can't be an ear, we all can't be an eye, we all can't, no, no, no. That's not what the scripture is actually informing us of. And we'll go to 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll prove it in a second. Don't worry. Don't be like, oh, no, that's not true. We'll get there. Calm down. Relax. Relax, Joey. It's all going to be okay. You can still play guitar, bro. Relax. Verse 27 of Ephesians uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says this, uh, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers. These three giftings are, uh, in at least modern church, referred to as three of the five-fold ministry, and they're listed as first, second, third in Corinthians. Ephesians 4 will list them in a moment. So these three gifts, and then works of miracles, having the gift of healings, those who help others, those with the gift of ministration, those who speak in different tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work in miracles, do all have the gift of healings, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, and then we stop. But we forget that the context of these gifts is the following verses and perhaps the greatest verses in 1111 in the Bible. And it's this. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Let me remind you, church, your gift is nothing compared to his love. It is not even the same metric. It does not matter. The faithfulness of you using your gift is nothing compared to your faithfulness in using God's love. Let me show you a more excellent way than you do this thing or you say this thing or we're all, what we, we might not all be apostles. We might not all be encouragers, but we all should be love. Therefore, you may find yourself moving in and out of gifts Therefore, you might find yourself having to use patience or kindness or not keeping a record of wrongs or always rejoicing with truth. You might find yourself in this list that follows in 1 Corinthians 13, love is more important than gift. I'm going to say it again, love is more important than gift. You using God's love, receiving God's love is more important than you receiving your gift and using your gift. Jesus did not come to give you your gift. He 
He came to restore you in relationship to the Father, to make a bridge that you could experience God's love, be transformed by your love, and then via his love, restore people back to his heart. If you are going to start something for Jesus, you need to position your gift. And it needs, your gift needs to buckle its knees at the voice of Jesus. I think sometimes we use scriptures like this. We'll go to Ephesians 4. I'll race you there. Genesis, Exodus. I start at the beginning every time. Have you got it? I've got it. It's on the screen. Ephesians 4 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I love how these five gifts are listed in this way, and I think it gives us a kingdom truth for all gifting. To equip his people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ, very similar to 2 Peter 1 that we originally read. I want to challenge you this morning with this thought. Your gifting is not for doing, it's for teaching. If your gift is encouragement, you should equip the body of Christ to encourage. You shouldn't specialize in encouragement. If you have a heart of generosity, can I ask you to not just be generous? Your impact is too insignificant and you forget that you're a part of a body. Your generosity should motivate and inspire. It should teach and equip the rest of the body to be generous. To a large degree, that is intentionally letting your light shine before man so that people can glorify your Father. It is intentionally using your gift to equip the rest of the body. To be so connected to the Lordship and the head of the body that you are willing to move and do what needs to be done because you are moved and motivated by his love. Let us not use scripture, scriptures on unity to bring division. Love is the greater gift. Can we go to our next verse before we get to point number three, Alan? It's in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 5. I want to find it. Got it. It says this, What after all is Apollos and Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task? I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. Can I speak to your gift, your amazing talent, the thing that you are nine out of ten or ten out of, the thing that separates you from all these other Christians in this room. I'm so good at this thing. Oh, look at me. I'm going to flex it. I'm not going to worry about the other things, but I'll flex this one. Can I speak directly to your talent? Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes them grow. Please be faithful with your gift, but please be more faithful with the gift of his love. Because if you look at the life of Jesus or Paul, we do not see examples of people that structured how they were going to use 
be used by God and exclusively did those things. Yes, be faithful with your gift, but please be more faithful with God's love. So if you this morning say, oh yeah, my gift is not leading or not evangelizing or not... Allow in your weakness for God to be strong. 2 Corinthians 9, as we move on to the third and second last point. The third point is this, Alan, hit me up. It's plant seeds. To measure your day, not based off what you harvest, but measure your day off the seeds that you have sown. Which is such, obviously, a counterculture thing in our world. We try and measure our day by some kind of metric or KPI or some kind of thing that says, today was fulfilling because I got this result. My kids said I did this or this happened or work felt like I hit, I hit these goals. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're going to start something for Jesus, may you measure your day by planting the seed, not just reaping a harvest. 2 Corinthians 9 is actually the best word to describe it in our English language is sarcastic. The thing that Paul is using towards the Corinthian church is actually not an encouragement, it is a rebuke. I won't prove that this morning. But in verse 6 it says this, Remember the one, I remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then down in verse 9 uh, reads this, As it is written, He who scatters abroad his gift to the poor, his righteousness will endure forever. I want to encourage you this morning, church, to plant seeds in people's life so generously that by your life you prove that you are walking with the provider, that you are walking with the one that can fill you up again, that you're not constantly being like, I don't know if I can, these boundaries, oh, oh my gosh, I've only got this amount of time and this amount of things, and I'm going to put these boundaries in place because what if I have nothing left? If you have nothing left, you are quite likely following Jesus. If you find yourself being empty, tired, worn out, in your own strength weak, in your own strength incapable, in your own strength underqualified, you might just be in a healthy place where you can say, but Jesus, but his strength, but his miracle working power, but his provision, plus his strength in my weakness, plus Jesus is enough. So can I encourage you, if you want to start something for Jesus and with Jesus, plant the seeds that he's placed in your hand now. Plant them. Don't hold on to them. Don't wait for them to mature after 30 years and then you'll eventually plant them. I'm so thankful that in my first steps in our youth ministry, I was taught by people like Pastor Nat and Pastor Benaiah, you know this much, that means you can teach this much. And you've got to better push into God because you've got to lead someone and help someone. You should be moving into him uh, because you love him, but you should also realize that someone's about to, they need you. <laughs> Your bravery is their breakthrough. you pushing in. So I found myself in the first few months of me actually walking with Jesus, teaching people the things that I knew. And perhaps I only knew them for a week, but I knew them. And I was going to use them. And suddenly using the seed that God gave me made place in my pocket for more of him. And suddenly planting those seeds and saying those things and speaking those encouragements and using what he had already done in me, tested and proved them to be more authentic and more real and more pure. It's actually in the using of your seed, you actually probably find out what kind of harvest you're going to reap. 
Some of us have a whole pocket full of seeds and we've never harvested before. You don't even know if your seed's good. Use it. Yum, 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 yum. Sound good? Did we read 2 Corinthians 9? We did, didn't we? The fourth and final thing is this. Alan, hit me up, bro. Two, prevent planning paralysis. PPP. Everyone say PPP. <laughs> PP. <laughs> prevent planning paralysis. Luke 14. Got it. Yes. says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Okay, this is the verse you're going to use, that we all use, and why we don't start things. Because we need to sit with God, and God needs to tell us about everything that's going to happen because, verse 29, for if he lays a foundation and he is not able to finish it, everyone who sees will ridicule him. And isn't that the main reason why we don't step out? Like, what if it doesn't work? What if I try and it wasn't the thing that God asked me to do? And, and what we get so caught up in is if I can't see the end, I'm not going to begin. But that is not what the Scripture is talking about. The Scripture is not giving us uh, tools to equip us. To, okay, we've got to wait on God, wait on God, wait on God. Don't step until you can just see everything and be led by faith and the impossible thing is going to be there. This Scripture, as its context is further down the line. In verse 33, it says this, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. The context of don't start your journey before you know the cost is the cost is everything. Don't start acting like it's not going to cost you everything. Because it is going to cost you everything. So you need to count that cost. In other words, you need to put your hand up in an altar call and say you make Jesus your Lord and your Saviour. And once he is your Lord and your Saviour, you need to walk out your salvation with some fear and trembling. Ready to be held account to your response to his sacrifice. Ready to be held accountable for saying, God, I put you the Lord, the person in control, and the Saviour, the one that rescued me from my own sin, I place you at this in my life. I count the cost. And everything that I step out in, everything that I do, I understand that I will lose it all. As Paul says, that I will count it all as dung. Some modern translations use rubbish because we don't like talking about feces in church. But the original context is human waste. That I count everything as that. Oh, let's just be honest, none of us go to the bathroom and then spend our whole day thinking about the bathroom, hopefully. It is in our past, we have moved on, we have progressed. Unless you're weird, you're not bringing it up to new people, you're not going, get put over by the police, you're like, well, this morning, like, it's something that you move on from. In the same way, we are encouraged by Paul and we're encouraged in this scripture that if you are going to walk with Jesus, you simply need to count the cost, everything. So if I'm going to start something, I want to encourage you this morning, church, you have to prevent planning paralysis. 
You have to understand that God might not give you the whole staircase before he tells you to take the first step. Some motivational post somewhere. That you need to get your fingerprints all over the first step. You don't need to worry about the outcome of what's going to happen or the ridicule that could occur. You need to be obedient today with what God has asked you to do. And I think to a large degree, the church has forgotten and lost the art of the start, of just beginning, of just not being like, let's have a planning meeting. Let me tell you something. We're, next month, we're doing a whole thing on celebration groups. But this, the, this week, as I was preparing, as I was sitting in the office, I was like, we don't need six weeks to lead up to the church just loving people do we like oh my gosh like that sounds really like we plan like we plan all these no what is it it's just taking a step what are the reasons why we don't our priorities are wrong we're too afraid to plant the seed we are paralyzed by planning that we think our planning is worship and it's the only worship let me tell you church you can worry about all the things in your head all you possibly want and all the outcomes but none of it's going to change the world let's count the cost let's move forward I'm going to go back to the final verses before I give you some last little tips this morning. In 2 Peter um, was our original scripture this morning. If you left a bookmark in it, you're there right now. 2 Peter 1 verse 5 says this, and China, I am going to ask you to hop up as I close. It says, for this very reason, reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Church, can you say add? Add to your faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and godliness and kindness and love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past. My final thought this morning before we conclude is this, that if you want God to do the super, you have to do the natural. If you want him to go above and beyond, if you want him to do the things that only he can do, which is save, which is heal, which is restored, which is do miracles, you have to open your mouth. You have to do the hustle. You have to bite down and do the obedient thing. Because if you want that miracle to flow, it's probably going to happen when God gives you that faith and you add to it some knowledge, some perseverance, and you step out and say something. That healing of that person from cancer probably isn't going to happen when you're sitting on your hands. It's going to happen when you step up and you speak up and you start not knowing how it's going to end, perhaps still feeling afraid that you could be ridiculed and not work out and not be perfect and you not look very good and you having the Jonah mentality, which is I'd rather the whole world burn down than me look bad for a second. Like, God, you said you were going to destroy them and now you're not destroying them. Please destroy them. I look, I'm embarrassed. Church, you got to start. 
because this series is supposed to, supposed to be some social skills, Pastor Benoit, I gave you 10 hospitality things. Let me give you some social skills, can I, before we land this plane this morning? Alan, hit me up on my next slide, bro. I want to give you how to start a conversation. Are you ready? It's going to blow your mind. I Googled this. This is off Google. I don't know if you've heard of Google. It's like Yahoo and Ask Jeeves. It says this. If you want to have a conversation, ask for information. Hello, what are your bank details? See? What is your annual income? What is your ethnicity? See? All great information questions. Pay a compliment. Wow, you are unique. See? Great things. Comment on something pleasant. Introduce yourself. Offer help. Ask for help. Mention a shared experience. Hello. We both tried out for The Voice. One of us got on. Ask for an opinion, praise the person, show genuine interest, ask about them, make an observation, comment on the weather. I've equipped you, church, to have some social skills. Take a photo, write them down. But I have bad news for us. And the bad news is we grab one of the scriptures like we are a family and we get really dysfunctional. And we start saying things and doing things that are a little bit outside of what is socially acceptable. Can I give you some anti-social skills? How to end a conversation? Tell information. Pay an insult. Some of you are well-versed in these things. If you ever comment on my weight, I'm going to comment on family members of yours, their weight, and we'll see who wins social skills. Pay an insult. May the church not be a place that we're trying to start conversations like this. When we start conversations and we comment on something unpleasant or we, we don't introduce ourselves or we refuse help or refuse to ask for help or we emphasize our differences. It's like we, some of us are just like wired to be like, how can I disagree with this person? And your personality forfeits the kingdom from flowing. If you've got to kill your personality, church, murder it on the altar of obedience to Jesus. If you're 100% introvert, but Jesus needs you to say something to someone, can I encourage you to put yourself in the back seat for a second? Let Jesus take the wheel like Kerry Underwood would preach to us. We wouldn't be so eager to share our opinions and discourage the person and speak doubt into them. That we would be so eager to show no interest in them. Every conversation we have, we're just like double dutch waiting for our turn to share our opinion. Are you done? Cool. Now what I want to say is this. We spend the whole time talking about ourselves and our problems and our fears and who did you vote for? Because if you vote for the wrong person, the world's going to end. There is no person you can vote for that is going to end the world. Sorry, Jesus is on the throne. I don't know who you voted for yesterday. I don't even know if you voted. Oh, I don't know if you're going to get a fine. Please tithe before you pay your fines. Jesus is still on the throne. I genuinely don't know. I don't know if results have come in. I don't know who you voted for. Stop showing interest in only what you care about. We talk about yourself. Where we make no observations about the other person. Where we just genuinely are selfish. If you want to start a conversation, if you want to start a celebration group, tell you where it starts. It starts you looking beyond yourself. There's this really stupid phrasing. 
It's, it's from sport. And I know I talk about sport a lot because I'm passionate about it, okay? I'm a man. I like to hunt. I like sports. I like rissoles. Like, I like manly things. There's this phrase that's ready, set, go. And Christians live their life by this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Get set. Now we're going to go. God doesn't work that way. This is how he works. Go, set, ready. He legitimately works the opposite way. Like you're like, I'm not ready yet. I was going to pray about this. And then God's going to give me the breakthrough. It's going to be amazing. And I'm going to open my mouth and everyone's going to get saved. It's going to be so good. And I'll never look embarrassed. And I'll never fail. I'll never have to learn anything because he'll teach me everything because he's my teacher. No, go first. He'll give you something to set your next thing on. He'll give you a testimony. He'll give you something to base some truth in. And then you might feel ready to do it again, but you probably won't. You'll feel ready to do that thing again. You won't feel ready for the next thing. I've never felt ready for anything that God has ever asked me to do. Never. Never. I'm so ready this morning, church. I'm so ready to preach for you. No, I'm not. I wasn't ready. That's why I don't even have notes. Alan made these slides. That's why I need him to click on them. I think there should be more whispering in church. Jesus. Don't get ready. Don't get set. Just go. Just go. It's not, here's the Great Commission. Ready, set, go and make disciples of all. Go. Just go. Count the cost. I'll go everywhere you want me to go, Jesus. If you're there, it's, it's more than enough. And you're omniscient and omnipresent, so you're kind of everywhere. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to trust that you're in these moments. I'm not going to miss them. Because I'm paralyzed by my planning. You can fight the fight in your mind for your whole life, but it's not going to see anyone saved. Fight them both. Get mentored, get discipled, work on the things that are holding you back. But please, don't let that be the reason why someone misses out on eternity. Oh my gosh. Parents, don't let your kids be the reason why you don't be faithful to what God asked you to do. That's messed up. Don't put that pressure on them. Be faithful to what God has asked you to do, but first his kingdom. Last thing we're going to do is give me my last slide, Alan. They don't know what it is, bro. They've got no idea. They're on the edge of their seats. Look at them. They're getting calloused. They're sitting on the edge of their seats so much. They're right here. It's not a celebration group. I'm going to say a phrase. I said it to Libby before. It's... No, I'm not going to actually. I love censoring myself now. I'm so mature. I only let you peek inside my mind now. Just little peeks. I live there. It's terrifying. The sadness will last forever. (laughs) I'm joking, joking, joking. (laughs) Celebration groups are what God has asked us to do this year. There's a big word family behind me. Celebration groups are simply about uh, creating family. Celebration group is one of two things. It's one, it's an interest group. Maybe you're really into... um, Someone say risotto? (laughs) Ben? (laughs) Yes. Oh, risos. Yeah, you might be really into risos. Long live Russia. Um, Sorry, I'm Russian. It's not a thing. Don't worry. (laughs) It's not a good time to disclose my ethnicity. I apologize. I mean, I'm not Russian. Um, I feel marginalized by the church, China. Um, 
It'll do me some good. Um, it's a special interest group. Maybe you're, you're a dad and you want to go boycott Berry Park and you want to... You just want to raise up healthy dads and you're going to build a group around a community concept. Maybe it's craft and you just live for craft. Maybe it's chatting and you love live for chatting as a man. Maybe it's surfing or pram racing dads or... Well, Alex runs this, this mums group that's been running in our church for the last four years on Fridays. It's a, it's a community thing that's either open to our community or our church to build and to help people find family, to create places where they can genuinely find their people and their tribe. And the second thing is this, it's maybe not a special interest group, but it's just you choosing some people. Maybe it's in your workplace or your school where you're just like, once a month I'm going to sit with the people from my work with, with one motive and one agenda to create family. There's not going to be burnout in my workplace because we're going to create a safe place where people can come and be liked and encouraged and genuinely supported. It's just going to be, it's not going to be anything. I'm not going to have to like get out my holy water or baptize a whole bunch of people. No, it's just going to be a place where I intentionally pray and I come filled up ready to, to create family. What's going to happen right now is our host team, I think, or someone, events. We have these cards, and I'm going to finish um, this morning with, with asking something. Uh, I'm going to ask that you would prioritize people in your life. I'm going to ask you to make a decision today to start to plant seeds in people that desperately need it, that God has already placed in your heart. I'm going to ask that if your gifting is not bringing heaven to earth, that you would still do it. If your gifting is like you just have this gift from God, it's just discouragement, that you would lay that gift down and you would encourage. Your gift would fight for people that are far from Jesus, that you would position your gift in its right place, but you would choose God's love over all of those things. And this morning, as we're about to finish and these cards get handed out, I'm going to ask that you would, um, you would prevent some planning paralysis. You wouldn't worry about what your second step is or your third step or your fourth step right now, but you would take one. They would just be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a step. And there's this card here, and it says how to start a celebration group. And on the back it says my name, my group description, my group is open to, and people in my group. Your name, if you're unaware of, is your birth name. Jeremiah Maximilian Mitchell is his name. My group description, describe, is it a community group? Is it my workplace? I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to start to get coffees with them. My group is open too. If it's a workplace one, just be like, you are not invited unless you work at Bomaderry KFC. Um, or if it's open and you want us to advertise as a church and you want a place where um, the motorbikers can get together and I can bring my electric scooter and we can just party it up and we can do wheelies that all the Commodore drivers in the room can just head to Spotlight Car Park and just do burnouts. Spotlight Car Park is that one in town. I don't care where Spotlight is now. That, does everyone remember like Thursday night cars? Um, Thursday, no, okay. That my group is open to and the people in my group. If it's no one, write no one. Right? I want to start this group. I don't know how it fits in. Can someone help me? Can someone support me? There's an art to starting and it's those things I listed for you this morning. It's those priorities. It's those plannings. It's that... It's, it's those things. I'm going to ask this morning. I'm going to ask for God to do something. I'm not going to ask him for do the, to do the supernatural just yet. Actually, Holy Spirit, I ask that you wouldn't do the supernatural until we're faithful with our part. That you would move in us, not move despite us. 
that your church would position herself in obedience to you, in our families, with our friends, in our workplace, speak into us, that as we take our first step, that you would be with us, that your grace would be enough for us, and then that you would do what only you can do. But God, we know there's some things that we can do. So move in us, transform us. So just with a moment, I just want you to, just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think inside of this context. Who today, or more importantly, who tomorrow gets a breakthrough because of my bravery today? Who tomorrow do I want to see a breakthrough in because right now, right in this moment, I summon some bravery. Jeremiah went through a phase at his first preschool where he was terrified of drop-offs. I remember dropping off and him clinging to me, upset, stressed out during the day. And I don't know who said it to him when it happened. Let's say it was me. I want the credit. <laughs> he, he learned a little phrase and it was to be a little bit brave. He said it to Ellie when she started preschool as well. Ellie needs no bravery. She, she is the center of the world and the world revolves and is drawn to her. <laughs> the world needs bravery for Ellie. <laughs> but I remember him saying this phrase, just be a little bit brave. A little bit brave. Come on, church. Why, why wouldn't you start it? Someone else needs it. Maybe you fluked it. Maybe no one ever stood in the gap for you. Maybe no one ever shared truth or love or invited you. I think it's very unlikely, but if that is you, thank you, Jesus, for doing it despite his church. But if there's people that you're just like, I know that they've already been on my heart. I don't need to wait on God. They're there. I carry them. Would you write their names down? Would you commit yourself to starting something? Not just because it's what God said to our church. Not just because it's how we unite together and how we outwork his calling in us for this year. But because the lost need to be found and the sick need to be healed and the broken need to be brought back together again and because the blind need to receive their sight because the need for the church to be the church is great. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would... Uh, Give us a little bit of bravery to start. Take a moment to jot something down. As you're doing that, I just want to share a final thought. I've been in church um, most of my life. Three key different churches. I got saved in this church when I was 14. But I grew up in one church. My family was excommunicated from that church, went to a different church. But then fell in love with God in our youth ministry. I've watched people move around churches before. I've watched people be chewed up and burnt by the church. 
I'm not a pastor's kid, I'm an excommunicator's kid, if that's a thing. I've watched in church life people come in exhausted, tired, and I've watched people say things like they just they're in a season of rest and recovery and they'll be put back together and then they'll be able to go. That's very true. There are seasons where God will mend you and, and make you whole. He'll make sure that your motivation, your priority, and your heart is in the right place. So you wouldn't serve out of a slave mentality, but instead as a son. But every single time I've watched someone be in that season, the actual breakthrough moment has never really looked like that service where they got a word and a prophecy and everything was kind of fixed. What happened is that when they stepped out, a miracle happened. And maybe it took them six months or 12 months to realize that God could protect them, help them or heal them. But I've watched people in in full burnout not be saved from that fear, not be freed from that brokenness. As honestly, there was a, a, was a lady that played keys for us. And I remember the first Sunday that she played keys after being chewed up through the church. And I remember the freedom that occurred. I remember people that have sat in our church for seasons, but it's not until the Sunday that they serve on the kids' team that things start to heal because what happens is obedience is its own medicine. And this morning, church, you might be like, man, people have hurt me. Yeah, me too. There is no geographical location that has caused more pain to me than 8 Bellevue Street, South Nara. <laughs> I've been offended here, hurt here, accused here. People have said mean things about how thick my ankles are. They've... But it's in the doing, it's in the obedience that God gets to be everything that God is. So on that list of people, don't be afraid to love again, to believe again, to have faith again. Don't be afraid to add to your faith. We're going to finish uh, in a moment. Worship team is going to ask you to come up. Uh, I just want to pray for us one last time. If you've got those cards and you want to you want to get some help and some support, at the back of our auditorium is a little bucket and you can drop them in as you go out. And we want to unite together. We want to pray for these things. We want our demographics to meet and pray for them, believe for things, support you. For those starting community groups, we want to announce them and move forward. But the next couple of weeks, we're going to be increasing celebration groups in our church. Holy Spirit, can we stand? Can we stand? Let me pray for us and we'll finish with this song. me pray for you this week that you would have the boldness to step out and to start you'd use the hospitality social skills you've got you'll use the conversation social skills you've got but you would step out of the boat in a moment the team is about to just lead us in that praise song again and there's a line in there what's the line that i believe that to be another resurrection what a powerful line that we can sing apathetically. I believe there's about to be another resurrection. Yeah. Do you? Do you? Something dead in you. 
something that felt broken in you, that you would believe that God can bring that type of life, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, dwells inside of your beautiful little body. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you love us, that you're for your church, that you're not distant, opposing us, that you are with us, you are in our midst. And I ask this morning that your word would not return to you void. Holy Spirit, the things you've spoken into our hearts, that we would take seriously, that we would be ready to give an account for the things we've heard. And I ask Jesus, the things you've called us to start this morning, that we would be able to step out with boldness. And even right now, for those people in this room that need a little bit of resurrection, I pray as the team leads this and as we sing in this moment, as we finish our service with shouting your name, Jesus, that you would resurrect the parts in us that only you can. Be with us this week, move in our midst, and may people far from you encounter you like never before. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.